Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Hi, Ashish. Good to see you again. Hi, Wayne. It's been a couple of weeks. I'm happy to be back. Thank you. It has been a couple of weeks. This is our first podcast in June. So I'm hoping you can give us your sort of your overall assessment of the pandemic in the United States at this point in time. Sure. Um, so I would say mostly sunny skies with a few dark clouds that we got to pay attention to. So let's talk about the sunny skies first, and then we'll talk about some dark clouds. Infection numbers have continued cl- uh, coming down very nicely. About a week ago, we got down to about 14,000, which is the lowest we have been, I don't know, since last April or, I mean, March or May. I mean, some point, basically, really, really low number of infections. Fabulous progress. Uh, we're at 64% of American adults with at least one shot. That's good progress. Uh, and here in the Northeast, every state is above 70% and cruising. Um, so that's all great. And infection numbers are way down. So then you're like, what are the dark clouds? Um, one, there are two or three that are worth thinking about. One is number of infections has plateaued at about 14,000. That's a low number, but it's not a, but it means that, that we've had about a week of about 14,000. And given that vaccinations are continuing, weather's continue to get better, it starts making me worry that maybe something else is going on, that there is, and what may be going on is the Delta variant. And I'm happy to talk more about the Delta variant, but it may be, or it's something else. But we are, that plateau is a bit of a surprise. I expected the infection numbers to continue coming down further. And maybe the last point I'll make is that we're really struggling on vaccinations. It's gone up to 64% of adults, which is fabulous, but we're moving very slowly now, adding maybe 1% per week. Uh, we're probably not going to hit President Biden's 70% by July 4th. So things are, things are good, uh, but few, few areas of concern. Well, you mentioned the Delta variant, and of course, that is of concern to a lot of people. There are some countries where they're seeing a rise in cases that they are attributing to the Delta variant. China and the UK are two of those places. Talk about the uh, the Delta variant, what it is and why it's of, of concern. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've talked a lot about variants over the last six months. And whenever I think about a variant, I've said this before, but I'll just say again, I think about three things. Is it more contagious? Is it more deadly? 
And does it evade immunity from vaccines or prior infections? Here's what we know about the Delta variant. It is way more contagious than any variant we've seen. It is the most contagious variant we have ever seen this in, in this pandemic. And that's going to be a huge problem. Second is it does look like it's a bit more deadly than other variants. And there is some evidence that it has more immune escape as well. So it may be one of the first sort of true triple threats. It has all three of those. Now, here's the good news on the Delta variant. If you've gotten two shots of the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, you have about 90% protection against the Delta variant. That is amazing. Thank goodness. But if you have not gotten vaccinated, and by the way, I think the Johnson Johnson data will come in the same. We just don't have as much data. So if you got J&J, don't freak out. You'll, have, uh, you'll almost surely have very good protection too. If you have not gotten vaccinated, this is a potentially very dangerous time because the Delta variant is spreading, and it's about 6% of infections in the United States right now, doubling every two weeks, 6 8%. If you do the math, uh, in about four to six weeks, uh, we'll start, it'll start getting to be close to half. In about eight weeks, two months from now, by mid-August, it'll be the dominant variant in the United States. And that will make it a very dangerous time to be unvaccinated. So if you have not started getting vaccinated, it's time to start getting vaccinated. A more upbeat note came with a recent publication in two, uh, two respected journals that immunity to COVID-19 is long lasting, could even last a lifetime. Uh, and a scientist who was not involved with the studies told the New York Times, quote, the papers are consistent with the growing body of literature that suggests that immunity elicited by infection and vaccination for SARS-CoV-2 appears to be long-lived. What is your take on, on those reports? One of them was in Nature, which, of course, is yeah. highly respected. Uh, yeah. The evidence, I think, I, 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 that's how I read the data, too, um, that I think immunity is going to end up being long-lived. I don't think lifetime, Wayne. I think that's uh, too much to hope for. I would love that. I mean, I'd love it if our vaccines last a lifetime and then we're just good to go forever. I'd be surprised. But it does really push back against this narrative that some people have been saying that, oh, we're going to need boosters in six months. I don't see us needing boosters in six months. And if immunity is long lived from a previous infection or from two doses of an mRNA vaccine or a Johnson Johnson vaccine, I can easily imagine going at least a year, but maybe even a couple of years without needing a booster. So let's see where it goes. But it, it was good news, and I saw it as optimistic. Another bit of news, uh, the Novavax uh, trials uh, are ongoing, and we've got early results suggesting, yeah. not suggesting that the, their vaccine is 90.4% effective overall in clinical trials and 100% effective in preventing moderate or severe disease. This is good news. How do you see this vaccine being used given that there's already an abundance of, in the United States of, of Moderna and Pfizer and J&J? &J? Yeah. So first of all, it's a, it's a different, pro, it's a different uh, technology for a vaccine. It's using protein, not mRNA or not adenovirus. It takes little spike proteins from the um, uh, it grows up, it grows up spike protein, and then it, it wraps it in this little nanoparticle and, and it is a totally different technology. 
and it's fabulous. The results here uh, make this one of the really kind of top vaccines we have. And I have to say, I was thrilled beyond belief, not because I will get it. I probably, I won't, I've already gotten vaccinated. Most Americans won't get it. They may never get approval or they may not get authorization or approval anytime in the next three to six months here, because we don't need it. We have so much vaccines here. So why am I so thrilled? Because they are, if things go well, on track to make as much as 1 billion doses by the end of the calendar year. That would be very helpful for the world. So as a global vaccination strategy, Novavax could end up being a really, really important player. And the fact that it's so effective is fabulous. And, you know, that really just strikes a theme that we've had almost from the start of this podcast, which is this pandemic is global. This is the planet. This is in one region against another. We're all in this together to use that old adage from the early days of the pandemic. But I think it's, it's quite true. So we had one audience. Actually, it's a couple of audience questions, but from the same person related to something we talked about, I think the last time, maybe two times ago. And here, here they are. Would you take a baby or toddler under two who could not wear a mask to a grocery store, number one? And same question, would you take a baby or toddler under two who cannot wear a mask on a plane? So short answer is I probably would. Um, but, but here's the caveat. And so why am I saying probably? I think if you're in a super high risk zone area, you're in a neighbor in a community with a large outbreak happening, a lot of infected people, then I'd be a bit more careful. But that's not there aren't very many of those right now in the United States. Infection numbers are way down. Um, and so in that context, I would not be worried about at all. What about if we go into the fall and you're having, let's say, communities with low vaccination rates and high, and large outbreaks? I understand this, the somewhat greater concern, but I guess what I would say is um, babies who are two years old, they're just, they generally tend to do very, very well with this disease, even if they get it. They have a much lower likelihood of getting it. You know, I would um, I'll keep the baby close to you, presuming you're vaccinated and not necessarily hanging out with other unvaccinated people in the grocery store. But I would not, uh, I would not, shy away from going to a grocery store with a, a two-year-old right now, uh, especially in places like Massachusetts, Rhode Island, where infection numbers are so low. Thank you very much, Ashish. As always, if you have questions for Dr. Jha, send them to me, gwmiller at providencejournal.com, and write question for Dr. Jha in the subject field. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you so much, Wayne. Great to see you, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.